have you ever been lost at an amusement park? Or like, have you ever been left behind by anywhere in your life? I've never been lost at an amusement park before, but I have kind of gotten lost at Sea Plantation. When I was like six or seven, I think, um, I was getting, I was holding my tray, and then I was getting bread from the bread section, and I turned around and my parents were gone. So I just started crying. And then they heard me, and then they found me. And oh, they didn't leave, they just thought we were gone. No, because they were at the table, or they went back to the table because they got food, mm -hmm. but I was still getting food, so it all worked out fine. Do you still remember that? That's kind of that's kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Then what about so you never have you ever been lost anywhere else? Only sea plantation. Pretty much. Okay. Have you <laughs> ever lost anything? You have to say yes. Everybody has lost something. Yes. All right. What's the most recent thing you lost? Is it your phone? No. <laughs> I lost my uh, my student ID card. Oh. Did you get a paper after that? Did you did you end up paying? I looked at it at home though, so I found it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good, good story. So the reason why I'm asking this is because we're going to, the story that we're going to be going through is Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve have just eaten the fruit, and then God begins asking questions like, where are you? He begins looking for them, right? And it's a really weird, uh, you can kind of see like this weird interaction between God and his children, Adam and Eve at the time, and you kind of see it. So. We're kind of going to the story of how the fall began, as we call the fall. The fall meaning when mankind first sins, and it kind of creates this curse upon the human beings to the rest of the days of our lives. Until Jesus comes, dies for us, and we become sanctified in this new uh, covenant with Him. And after that, we kind of experience this new thing. But I'm kind of, I'm kind of confused how you got lost in superstition. So it's still in my head. I don't even know the market. The superstition is like. There's a lot of people, but there's nowhere else to go. Where, where are you going to go and see them? Maybe you can talk to your mom about it and ask her if she remembers that day. She'll be like, oh, I lost Jason many, many times for sure. <laughs> Alright, so we're going to read real quick Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 and 9. So we're going to start off. If you guys want to pull out in your phones, you guys can. Here's the Bible you guys can do as well. But we're going to read this real quick Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. Um, if you uh, don't know where Genesis is, you. Click on the Bible app and then Genesis. Right. If you have a physical Bible, it's on the very first page. But no one really cares about physical Bible anymore. Yeah. Anyways, all right. No one's lost. Right. Okay. So I'm gonna read it, and then I'm gonna ask you some questions, Jason. We're gonna kind of go through, and I'm gonna kind of ask you what we're kind of reading together. So Genesis chapter three, verses seven and nine. Verse seven says this: Then the eyes of both of them were open. This is both of them being Adam and Eve, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verse 8, And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is when Adam and Eve are hiding by the man and his wife. Verse 9, But the Lord God, the Lord God called to the man, saying, Where are you? Alright, Jason, I have a question for you. Alright, God's on the line, right? Do you know why he's on the line? Yeah, he's everywhere, right? And he knows everything we're doing. Alright, why would he ask that question if he knows where they are? Um, so I think that it's because, not necessarily because he's testing Adam and Eve, but he wants to see what kind of response they have. But he knows that they made a mistake, they disobeyed him, and he's waiting to see if they will respond and confess to him, or if they'll continue to hide the shame. 
Are you in secondary school? No. Yeah, it's basically what you I think you hit, nail, like you hit the, the nail on the head. That is basically what, what God said. God always knows where we are, but then he's, all, he's obviously asking, like, to what extent will we go to? God's always asking that question, where are you, where are you doing? Um, but it's really us kind of wondering, what are we doing? So like, one thing I'd like to kind of say is this is, is one of you, most of you guys will say this in your own life, too, as well as God asks you, like, where are you? And a lot of questions, a lot of times you'll ask yourself is like, why do I do this? Or like, what am I doing? It's almost the same question. You kind of question yourself as to what's going on in your own life. And you hit, you for sure got it down. And God wants to kind of reflect and wants us to see what the reaction of Adam and Eve will be like. Is it going to be him feeling in shame or is it going to be him coming out and being honest? Um, they continue to hide, but I want to ask this next up. This is a more personal question. So we figure out why God asked that question to Adam and Eve. How do you think God asked us that same question in our lives today? So have you ever felt that same question? God's like, where are you? Or do you experience something like that? Um, when, but that's often, at least felt like he's asking me that, it feels like he's challenging me and confronting my shortcomings. Because oftentimes, if I just continue to do what I'm doing, I'm fine, I don't really, like, I'm not really, I don't really feel pressure by God to change or what I'm doing, just staying in this like certain area of comfort. But when he asks that, it kind of pushes, it forces you to make a decision to either turn and face and admit to God what you're doing is wrong, and then also just kind of work towards reconciling with him or turn the other way to your own. Nice, nice. So do you mean that like in your life where you're not in good terms with him, do you mean that by saying like you're not going to him, not praying to him, or like, what does that mean when you're not right with him? Do you just, your shortcomings, what do you mean by your shortcomings? It's kind of like, when you feel like you're just, either God isn't close to you or you're not close to God, and either you, you just can't feel like you have the means to close the gap, God comes and closes the gap for you, which is why you ask the question, which shows that he's want to take the initiative to confront you about your yeah, yeah. So how, how often do you go through that through those moments? It's kind of like a, a cycle for me. Uh-huh. Like there's no like specific time, but there's just periods of you know I'm close to God, everything's going great, but then there's times when like I don't want to talk with you just because um, I don't feel either by about myself or I don't I don't trust God. And so then then he reaches out. And it's oftentimes, and the cycle just repeats. Yeah, and I think like everyone here can relate to that, right? Where you feel like you're not right with God, and you start asking yourself like, "Well, what's going on?" Do you kind of when do you realize that that you need to get closer with God again, or like when do you realize that you're you feel distant from Him? Because He's not really distant because God never goes away, but you feel distant from Him. So like, when does that come to your head? Is it because like? You don't pray with greedy or something? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times, I think now it's just me looking back in like retrospect, seeing how that happened. But usually, when I'm in the middle of things, I'm really narrow. Like, right. I'm really narrow vision, and I can't really see what's going on around me. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're kind of like in your own world. But what's really interesting, kind of like Adam, you just God already knows, right? He knows you're having a time, He knows you feel distant, yet He's not going to be like, all right, like, 
Jason come to you right now. He's, he wants you to go through it so that you can kind of learn and grow from there, from that type of, uh, I guess, like mindset, but right? understanding that God's always with you 24 7. It's about me acknowledging him and seeing that he's with me. So thanks for sharing with me. I like that a lot. Um, we're actually going to go a little bit back. So we see this thing where God says to Adam and Eve, like, where are you? And this begins the conversation of shame. Right? This conversation of shame. Because at this point, Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit, and they understand the difference between good and evil. And that's when they cover themselves up with the fig leaves, because they realize, oh, I'm naked, I'm shamed, and they cover myself up. And they begin this process of shame. The first question is, where are you? And I think that's a big question for all of us today right now, is like, the question I want to ask all of you is like, where are you? I'm not God, but God's asking you the question today, where are you? Like, are you hiding in your shame? Or are you able to kind of find So we're going to read real quick Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. It says this, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So this is before Adam and wife, Adam and Eve eat the fruit. At that time, they felt no shame. They were naked, they felt no shame. And then they eat the fruit, and they fall into shame. So, how, Jason, is our shame correlated to our disobedience and obedience to God? I think shame and disobedience are very um, it's like when you disobey God, there's like a, a gap between you that begins uh, to be formed, and it's both you feeling shame about maybe it's what you did, or maybe it's shame that you think that God will accept you now, but they're both related. And on the other side, obedience to God also helps reduce the gap, not that that is enough to get you back originally to where you were, because that's Jesus feels, but it's kind of like almost a way to measure how distant you are from yeah, yeah. Do you feel like you experience that idea of shame and disobedience like often, or like how? When do you find yourself? Like, when do you find those two things happening in your life? Your shame and disobedience. Like, is it more when you disobey your parents, or you disobey like the school rules, or like? This week in the Bible, like where do you feel the most shame in your life? I think, especially uh, for me, the most time I feel, shame, I feel shame is when either I know someone else knows what I did, or when there's like an incoming consequence or punishment due to my action. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like if you don't feel shame when you sin against God, maybe it's because you just don't feel like He, does. even though He does know everything, sometimes. Feels like he's not actively waiting to punish you, so then sometimes you don't feel shame, which is kind of like a weird thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of right, but. yeah, yeah. It's almost like, and that's what we call grace, right? Like grace coming in first, and like you're worthy, but then God still needs to correct and, and show us what is the correct way and stuff like that. And shame is really important in any way. It's not just about being perfect, it's, it's about, it's actually kind of worse. In a way than that, like shame is understanding brokenness, like at the core of it. And not just like brokenness in the sense of like things are broken, like in this world, like it's more of like there's brokenness in every aspect of everything in our lives. Like even if you think about it in your own life right now, at, at your age, you're in junior high school, high school, whatever it is, there's things that your great, 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 great grandfather has done where brokenness has happened sometime and now it's come down to you and you're a part of that story of 
brokenness from like generations before you. It's this weird concept of how that reveals where we are in this world and how important Christ is needed. If you look at history, you can kind of see what mistakes uh, past generations have made, and you can kind of see the mistakes that our generation makes as well. It's this core brokenness inside all of us. We're all very, very unique and different. We get these perspectives that are really unique and different. And a lot of times our perspectives and our beliefs and our thoughts usually come from brokenness more than from success. Like one of the main reasons is, I find is that sometimes, I don't know if you're able to agree with this, like you're not able, you have a hard time making new friends because sometimes you don't trust your friends. Have you ever had something like that? Yeah. Or like, because you had a great, like, or even something like, I don't know, some, sometimes people go through this where it's like, your parents or someone tells you you need about yourself. Like, my, all my friends around me, who I talk to, should only be Christian. Which is not a bad thing, yeah. But at the same time, I should interact with people that are not Christian so I can be a witness to them and show them the love of Jesus Christ. That's being missional. But sometimes people will say you shouldn't do that because the only reason why they should that is because they're broken because they have made mistakes by correlating themselves with the wrong people as well. And that's pretty interesting as well because what they're sharing now isn't, it is wisdom, but it's coming from their own brokenness, right? So brokenness really shapes with who we are and stuff like that. It's us as well, that like we are part of brokenness and we realize that the way you live your life sometimes actually comes from broken memories, broken experiences, and places where you realize that you're just kind of full of shame. So going back, um, Adam and Eve, they ate the food, they covered their bodies up, right? And they used kind of fig leaves. So what are some fig leaves, quote unquote, we used to kind of cover ourselves up when it comes to when we feel shame? So some fig leaves often used to cover shame, especially I think today, is the approval of others. Like, even if you do something wrong, if other people say something, or if other people do it, then it's like, hey, maybe what I did wasn't so wrong, or maybe what I did is not that bad, or just inconsequential. But um, on, 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 the other, on the other end, um, self-righteousness and um, pride can also be discovered up, um, like the Pharisees. Like if, you, if you're like, oh, I'm a Christian, you're not a Christian, you do bad things, I do less bad things, therefore I'm better than you, that's kind of something that I've been struggling with personally, at least for a while, just uh, looking down on others because I feel like I'm morally better than them. That's pretty deep, dude. <laughs> I think um, that's a really, I think I like what you said in the beginning when you said that we look for approval from others, even when we do the bad things. Because sometimes uh, most of us will say, I look for approval when I do the good things. Like when I do something good, I want approval from others for people to acknowledge me. But even when you do the bad things as well, sometimes you want approval from others that you feel like, oh, what I did wasn't bad. And I know that's something that a lot of us struggle with as we get older, um, especially if you're in high school, as you start getting exposed to different things, different areas of, of life that, as a kid, you didn't have to really worry about, but now you have to kind of think through it and be like, okay, this is a wise decision if you guys know what I mean. So like, even those things is, do I compromise? Not even compromise, do I feel like what I'm doing is right based on what other people think, but in reality, it's, it's really looking to God, right? And just kind of being like, okay, this is what God wants from me, this is what God calls me to be. This is who I am, so I kind of follow. So, thanks for sharing about that. We're gonna get a little more into the idea of shame and brokenness. So, one thing I like to share a lot is when it comes to shame and brokenness, one of the first kind of books of the Bible, the chapters of the Bible you can go to is Romans chapter three. 
It's like the most like boom shame is where Roman history is kind of uh, highlighted. And if you ever use your guys' Bible apps, or whatever, it's usually kind of correlated to this to this passage. So we're gonna jump over to Romans chapter three. You guys don't need to know it. It'll be on the screen as well. But if you guys want to, you guys can go ahead. This is Romans chapter three, verses three to four. And we're gonna just kind of start off real quick of how Paul talks about the idea of like. He's basically going to say, like, all of you are just bad people, right? The reason why he says that is he first kind of opens up in Romans chapter 3, verses 3. talks about a unique experience of how he was able to clearly see it. So we're going to read it real quick. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being be a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak, prevail when you judge. All right? This passage is actually referencing to a time in the Old Testament right before the Israelites, who were like the chosen people of God, entered into a place called the Promised Land. Right? So that story is basically, there's this uh, man named Moses, right? he takes a bunch of slaves out of Egypt, the Israelites people, they end up in the desert for 40 years, and then God promises them basically a country to live in. And what that's happening is, everyone that came out of Egypt basically wasn't allowed into this promised land. It's almost like, here's heaven, and not all of you guys get to go in, but I'm gonna make you live life for a long time where you don't get to experience, like you get to basically see if you kind of get into heaven, you kind of get tested, and you get to the point where you realize, oh, I can't go in. The reason why God does that is because this generation becomes so sinful, he's like, I almost need to start fresh, and he doesn't really like, say that perfectly, like, this day start fresh, but he raises up a new generation of leaders, a new generation of disciples. Like he's called to be like, right, when you establish this kingdom, I want you to establish a godly kingdom. And it's a really cool kind of story to see. So he's referencing like even back then, right? Like when life was supposed to be good, he just brought God just brought his whole entire group of people out of slavery that were struggling. Even when I brought that and just miracles happened, like plagues were happening, I crossed the Red Sea. Some of us still were unfaithful. And it's like this really big thing when he's saying like, not everyone's gonna make it. So it's going a little farther down, okay? This is one of my favorite Bible verses because it humbles me a lot, all right? And this is where he's kind of quoting Ecclesiastes, he closed, he's uh, quoting a lot of Psalms in uh, Romans chapter three, where he says this in verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks God, all have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. I'm gonna read that one more time, it's a little, it's pretty deep. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks God. No one who seeks God. That's great. All have turned away, everyone, I'm saying speaks, and all have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Alright, I know it's not on your Jason, alright? But like, we, we talked about, like, you kind of showed us a little bit, right? About how you feel like there are times where you kind of judge others, which is very understandable. Even as a pastor, I judge everybody here 24 7. If you guys watch Squiggy, shame on him. Alright, but what if, how, when you read that and you hear that, what, what kind of pops into your head? Like, what does that kind of mean to you? I think it really just embodies how far humanity is from God. Like, even if you think of like the best person in the world, like the kindest, the person who gives the most, 
they're still sinful because everyone's broken, and that's the whole story of why you need God, and just his whole plan. Yeah, yeah. Do you, like, when you think of the world brokenness, or you feel like the world is broken, what kind of things do you have? Uh, I feel like right now, like, the world, the world is definitely broken, but I think people are like accepting the brokenness. They're just like, oh, this is who we are, who I am. This is like why I'm this way, and they're accepting it, and they're just going with it. Um, okay. So kind of like, I do something bad, but this is who I am, so I like, just keep on doing it. That's actually kind of really true because a lot of the, I kind of trained before like the affirmation of like, oh, someone just tells me that what I'm doing is okay then. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that we can go deeper into that, but we won't go that. We won't go to actually go to verse 19 in Romans chapter 3. We won't go a little deeper into this idea of us and listening to God and what God accounts for us. Okay, so this is in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, whatever God says, it says, we used to think like the reason why it's this is because we had to obey, right? We have to do these things because we as Christians, like, or we as Israelites or Jews, we have to do it because that's how we get approved from God. But what Paul is saying, he's saying, no, the law or the things that Christians, Christians are supposed to do is to make us realize our consciousness of our sin, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying like, these things reveal us how sinful beings we are. And that is really important because some of us here in, our, in this room, in our lives, we think we know everything, right? But the reality is, is we don't. What I mean by that is there are certain things in life that we don't really know that we're trying to figure out. And I love this quote that Sam Aubrey says. He says this basically, he says something about parents, right? He says something that kids forget is that when they look at their parents, they don't realize their parents are also growing up, right? Meaning that your parents are also maturing as time goes on, right? They're not perfect, they're also maturing as well. And what this kind of makes us realize is the real brokenness and we have these expectations of what God wants from us, but we think God wants from us, but God's just really saying, well, no, like, the reason why I say this is because I want you to realize that you need me, right? You're a sinful being that needs a savior. You need a, you're a sinful being that needs the love of Jesus. And that's where it kind of grows from that. So when there's a verse where it says, the whole world will be accountable to God, right? So that every so he says that he says that there's those who are under the law of like what Christians should do, right? So that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world will be held accountable to God. Do you feel like we, as your generation, which is a little bit older than mine, do you feel like there is an accountability in this world? Like, do you feel like there's accountability in this world? I feel like there's a little bit of accountability, just but I feel like it's not necessarily God and to other people, but a lot of times people don't want to be accountable to someone because then it forces them to either change or stop what they're doing. Um, so. Yeah. And that's honestly where the idea of, of sin and why sometimes people don't want to be closer to God kind of exists. is because if you ever talk to non-Christians and share a love of God, that a lot of people, and this is a common response that people will say is, oh, I don't want to be told what to do, or like, I don't want to do what Christians would have to do. And a lot of, people, a lot of conversations that I've had with 
first years in college, second years in college, after they graduate from high school, it's like, I don't want to be Christian anymore, right? I made the choice that I don't want to be Christian anymore because I feel like I have to follow a bunch of rules. And I've asked that question a lot to everyone in this room. Do you guys feel like that? And you may not feel like that because you might find freedom in Christ and freedom in God, but the challenges will come as your life gets a little more complicated, as you start having to start making bigger decisions in your life, you're going to realize that it's almost feels like God is a hindering tool for you to experience happiness, right? For you to experience so how do you think God, or like in your life, has God ever pursued after you? And then you realize that like, oh, he's not that far, he's right there. So I had a period in early high school where I just, just kind of like fell into a routine of just doing the same thing every day without really giving much of a character, like having a relationship with God my Bible praying, and I thought everything was fine, because nothing bad was happening, I was doing all right and stuff, and at that point, I didn't feel like God was close, because I didn't feel like I needed God, or really had any necessity to be close to Him, but then a few things happened, and like, luckily my parents helped out, <laughs> and we started like a family devotional and also we started talking starting one more conversation uh-huh. which they kind of helped me get back on track and also I went to uh, a few other things like a seminar given by David Josiah and Elijah that they had at their house which was really helpful for me um, and then you know just kind of got this idea that no matter how far you go God is still everywhere in the, same, in the same place at the same time. He's just waiting for you to turn around and come back to him. Right. That's pretty deep because what you're also sharing too is about how your family was there to help you and how your friends and stuff like that too. So like God's using other people in your life to kind of help you out. Um, do you feel like that is something that we as people need and, and as teenagers need? Like they need that support and that idea of people who kind of push me to. I think back to like the whole accountability idea, I think that's what the church is for, and I think that's what the friends and family are for in Christ. They help keep uh, each other accountable and grow together as believers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what do you think, and I'm just kind of going off script, but like, you have accountability. What does it look like if, to have accountability with someone who is sinning? And they're trying, they're trying their best to not sin, but they're just kind of falling under temptation to keep on sinning. Like, what, what does that mean to you, and how would you kind of share the gospel and share, like, what would you, like, let's say, I, I'm over here and I'm sinning, right, right? I, I'm beating up children all the time, so yeah, that's a bad example, but, like, like say, uh, say I'm doing DJ slips, okay, all right? I'm stealing from the schools, right? But what would you say to me in terms of, like, being held accountable and stuff like that. I think if I was in that position, or if anyone was in that position, it's important to not assume the role of God and try and just correct everything that you, someone who's sinning, is doing. But I would instead focus on building a relationship first and then just talking it through. And then maybe if we, if we just share, I don't know, if 
we learn to trust each other to the point where you begin to take advice from someone who has biblical knowledge or who shared God's love and wisdom with you, then that would be an ideal situation. It's deep. I mean, that's very, very true. I think having accountability is very important. And I think that that's something that's forgotten a lot in high school um, because you're having so much fun with friends. And some of your friends, I know, are Christians. You probably have friends that are Christians too. But even that, it's like, what does accountability look like? And, and how do you do it in a very loving way? And I like how you shared that. It's not about like me judging them or trying to play God. It's you just kind of sharing love and truth and stuff like that. And it's really important because I like, I'm going to go back a little bit. If you think about Adam and Eve, when Eve ate the fruit, Adam was there. <laughs> but he never said anything, right? It's kind of weird, like, dude, why don't you say anything? And it's truth is sometimes you just really have to be really careful when you're facing temptation is someone needs to say something, right? And someone needs to acknowledge that, hey, what, what's going on is, is dangerous and what's going on is sinful. And, and I hope that all of you in your circle of friends and, and the church or whatever it is, and when you start seeing things that are getting a little wicked, you, you start being able to kind of share your opinions and share your voice and be a voice. And I like to kind of think about this too. When Adam and Eve, when they both ate the fruit, they probably had no idea how much they would mess it up for the rest of us. Like they didn't understand that concept, right? It's huge, super big. But if you think about it too, it's like brokenness and sin. When your parents yell at you at a young age, it stays with you for such a long time. Like it's so weird how that traumatizing experience you can yell that which you probably deserve, right? <laughs> it sticks with you for so long. It's because sin can be such a can be can be a really quick moment which will lead to a, such a big gradual punishment for us to such a big part of our lives. So Adam and Eve, I was looking at them and think, man, they screwed it up for the rest of us, but I know a thousand their shoes. I'm pretty interested in eating a fruit too. Do you think you eat a fruit? If it's that green smoothie your mom makes for you, you probably would do it. That's that good green smoothie story. It's pretty funny, all right? <laughs> all right. But I, I think that's really cool. Thanks for sharing, Jason. I, I appreciate you being here and being the first person to kind of be the charge. It is Jason squared up here. We went through the book of Genesis. We'll be going through more of it. Um, we're going to have some fun with it. So you actually shared a lot. And I'm very thankful for that. So I appreciate your heart, man. That was awesome. All right. Let me pray for us.